Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. We're going to be going to Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. Let's say this Bible declaration uh, in unison and in concert on three, one, two, three. This is the infallible, undisputed, and inerrant word of God. Today, I open up my heart, mind, spirit, and soul to receive from its truths. God, I thank you that fruit will abound to my account as a result of reading, hearing, and applying your word to every area of my life in Jesus' name. Everybody shout amen. 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 Do you believe that this morning? Hallelujah. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. It will also be located up on the screen. For those of you joining us on Facebook Live, thank you so much for joining us. I believe that the presence of the Lord is gonna meet you right through that screen because the Holy Spirit is not limited to time and space. We pray that this message impacts you and blesses you in a mighty way. Amen. It says, now as he, Jesus, say Jesus. As Jesus was going out on the road, one came running and knelt. Notice this word knelt, not worship. One knelt before him and he asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And Jesus, excuse me, the man said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And then Jesus, looking at him, listen to this, loved him. Say he loved him. Jesus had compassion in that moment as he seen this guy was religious. He was serving God with physical actions, but not from the heart. He loved him and he said to him, one thing you still lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven, and come, take up your cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You may have your seats. know if you noticed I choked a little bit at that last little verse of scripture and I have to tell you why can I just talk from heart from the heart this morning this for me I don't know why there's many different sad bible stories there's nothing that really can triumph Jesus's story with him going to the cross and being punished the way that he did I mean have you ever seen the passion of the Christ I mean I told my son about it and he was crying I mean, it's a, it's a sad story, but that's not, when you think about it, a truly sad story. That is a story of triumph. There's other sad stories like Solomon, and where he started very strong in the Lord. He loved the Lord. He built God's house, built a house of God's presence where people would come and worship from all over Israel. And he ended up worshiping foreign gods because of the women that he married. Be careful who you marry. Sad stories. One of the other sad stories in the Bible is that of one of the strongest men in the Bible. He was the Arnold Schwarzenegger of the Old Testament. Samson. What a sad story. But he, he too, ended, ended well, meaning he rededicated his life to the Lord. Remember when he was about to die and he still ended up fulfilling God's will ultimately, but he missed a lot of things. He lost out on some rewards. But this story for me, I I choke because 
It is one of the saddest stories to me in this one respect is that there were so many people that wanted to follow Jesus. Like, remember the guy uh, in the caves who was cutting himself? Jesus goes to an island and this man comes running and it says, worship fell down and worshiped him. And the demons didn't want to leave. And Jesus says, who are you? He said, we are legion. We are many. And Jesus commanded the demons to go into a herd of swine. They go running down the hill. Come on, do you know your Bible? The guy gets set free and he's like, hey, I want to enter into the full-time ministry with you. He doesn't use that language, but he said, can I, can I, can I walk with you? Can I, can I become your student? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you to go back to the city and I want you to tell them and declare to the whole city all the great things that the Lord has done for you today. And so he does. And the city experiences revival because this man who was out of his mind is now sane and is free and can think clearly and he serves God for the rest of his life. But this story is different. This is a man who's gone through the religious motions. He thinks in his own heart. And, and we can do that to ourselves. We can go through the religious motions and we think within ourselves, I love God because I do this. Because I go to church or I give a tithe or I help the needy. This guy right here, I, I want to break down the story for you. Can I, can I do that? I want you to notice a few different things. Now, this Bible story is in all of the synoptic gospels. Does everybody know what synoptic gospels are? There are four gospels Matthew, say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are all the Gospels. Each one of those writers were apostles of Jesus Christ. They were one of the 12. So four out of the other 12 disciples got a chance to write a, an account of when they walked with Jesus. But only three of them are very similar, and that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is not one of the synoptics. He's not similar to the other gospels. Synoptics means one of the same or the same story from a different perspective. Does that make sense? Say synoptics. Well, this story right here is recorded in all three synoptics, but I wanna, I wanna show you how the apostle Mark, Mark wrote this story. Yes, Mark, it was in Mark chapter 10. I want you to notice what he doesn't say in this particular passage. Because in most accounts, like the man who was demon-possessed, he says he, when he's seen Jesus, this guy's demon-possessed, right? This other story, it says he fell down and worshiped the Lord while he was demon-possessed. But this guy who's not demon-possessed, he's a young rich ruler, seemingly seeking eternal life, Mark doesn't record him as running to Jesus and worshiping him. Because any time in the Bible somebody's recorded as kneeling, usually the following word is worshiped. Are y'all following me this morning? But he doesn't use that word. What word does he use? Can we put it back up on the screen? Verse one. It says, now as he was going out on the road, Jesus was going on the road, one came running and he knelt. Not worshiped. He knelt. Say knelt. So notice that. There's a big, big difference between kneeling and worshiping. Now, when someone goes before a king, they're not worshiping him. Remember we talked about going before a king? When you kneel, you're looking for something. When you're in worship, you're giving something. You see, you see the difference? And I want to pose the question this morning is, as we go through our lives seemingly living for Jesus, and I believe that many of us are, are you kneeling or are you worshiping? Are you, are you, this guy wanted something from Jesus. He wanted to add to his treasuries. He was after something much higher because he obviously wasn't satisfied with where he was at in life. He may have been monetarily, but then he found that there's probably some emptiness even in having all the accruedments and all of the money in the world. He still was empty. So he was seeking eternal life, say eternal life. But he was kneeling, not worshiping. I want you to look at somebody and say this and look in their eyes. You may be with a spouse. You may be with a friend. You may need to look behind you like Dean. I want you to look at someone in the eye this morning and say this. Are you kneeling or are you worshiping? Do you want something or are you giving him something? Now I want you to notice this second thing. Is it okay if I exegete the scripture and kind of go through line upon line, just some of it? This ruler, this young rich ruler, 
He called him good. This was a big deal. Because by him kneeling, you would think he was giving God, Jesus, God, God, Jesus. You know that Jesus is God, right? He's giving him not just admiration, but he's giving him worship. Like he would recognize him at God. To kneel, would people use the word Lord in those days. Say Lord. People would use that terminology. It wasn't a term of endearment. It was a term of like adoration. Well, he kneels and bows as if he sees Jesus as Lord, but he doesn't see him as Lord. He sees him as good, which reveals that this guy does not see Jesus as God. And so he gives this surface address to Jesus. Good, you're good. It's surface. It's not, he's not God to this man. And so surface um, questions deserve surface answers. You know, like, I have to tell you, I'm guilty of this, very guilty. If you see I'm starting to get, like, antsy if I'm talking to somebody, is if anybody who really knows me, I do not like small talk. That's why I don't have a lot of friends. I do not like small talk. It's sometimes, I can get through about three minutes, and I really enjoy it for about three minutes, but about fourth minute mark... I start looking at for my leaders to come rescue me. You know, nice shoes. Oh man, I really like that collar and great colored shirt. And I'm really enjoying it, but I, but I'm, I, I get real short winded, you know, like I can, you know, run it like, like physically when I run 10 steps and I get out of breath, I feel like that in conversations because then I want to start talking about the deep things of God. Like, where are you at with Jesus? You know, how are you doing in life? Are you really, are you good here? Are you and him good? Are, are you, are you, I know you're working a lot. That's great that God's blessing you and promoting you. Are you spending time with your kids? Are you enjoying your grandchildren? Are you experiencing life? I know you're coming to church, but are, are you in, are you really walking with Christ? Are you walking in obedience? I, I want to talk about deeper things. Does anybody else like that want to talk? I do like, enjoy the outdoors. I, I do that. We did that the other week. How many were with us on the boat ride? I do like to get out and enjoy and let my hair down the little bit that I have, but, but I don't like small talk. Jesus doesn't like small talk. And so this, this surface question deserves a surface answer. And, and Jesus, here's what Jesus says to him. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Now, most might think that's surface, but it's, but it's, but it's very surface. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Notice that they are, these are all external things. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And remember it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Did you see that part? And he loved him because Jesus hadn't got to the heart issue. Now, now let's talk about the Ten Commandments. All of the Ten Commandments, but two, say two, are all really surface sins, surface, uh, how do I say this? They're outwardly, not inwardly, okay? Do not adultery. In other words, don't, don't commit adultery. Don't, if you're married, do not sleep with someone else. Uh, do not lie, meaning don't let a false, don't bear false witness. There's 10 of them. You know, honor your father and mother. All these things are external actions and Jesus withholds all the, the major ones. And here's how I know that he did is because in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40, you can write this down. Jesus says to the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were questioning him. What are the greatest commandments? Remember that? And Jesus gives them the, the right answer, like the greatest commandments. You know what he says? He says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two. Does everybody remember? Watch this. So, so I'm kind of telling on Jesus' motives. See, this, this scripture that we just read doesn't reveal it. But, but I want you to watch how Jesus kind of placated on words to capture the man's heart, to reveal the man's own motive to him. Because here's the thing. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? The guy doesn't even know he's wrong, but Jesus is trying to lead him into a revelation that, hey, you're not serving me because you love me. 
You don't want eternal life because you love me. You want eternal life because you want a fire escape. Or you want a Bentley. Or you want nicer shoes. Or you want a spouse. Or you want these things. He was trying to get to the bottom of this man's motive. Say motive. Watch what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40. It won't be up on the screen. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your, come on, say it, heart, mind, soul. And this is the first and great commandment. It's the biggest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus doesn't tell this man this. Because he's wanting the man, he's almost wanting, since the man has kept all the law, he left out, and he would have known if he really knew the law and abide by it, he would know that Jesus just left out the greatest commandments. But the light bulb doesn't come on for this man. I want to talk talk to you um, in a message this morning entitled, How to Find God's Will. It'll make sense in just a moment. Say, how to find God's will. Many of us are in search this morning of something. Everybody. Many of us think we're, is anybody believing the Lord for something this morning? I just want to see a show of hands. Just show me your hand. If you are believing, if you are needing to hear from God, if you're, if you're in need, if, if you're in search of something, come on, let me see your hands. I really want to see. Okay, a few of you are lying. Um, Okay, it's okay. We got prayer line at the end. Um, make sure you grab those two who didn't raise their hand, Rick, before they leave. This guy was in search of something to fill a void. And, and here's what I'm, I'm finding out more and more with God. I want to teach you experientially, and it will line up with what the Bible says, is that this guy is searching for something to satisfy him. But here's how awesome God is. Are y'all listening this morning? He, he knows what will ultimately satisfy your heart more than you do. You see? So don't, don't fight him when he's trying to take something, seemingly. When he's shifting your life, don't resist. When he's destabilizing your belief system, the relationships that you used to rely on in last season, the job resources, don't fight the process because he's intentionally destabilizing to show you that you cannot build your life on shifting sand and things that always change because he, the Lord, does not change. And so God, the person who struggles with change, God will intentionally see to it that change continues to come because he wants you to rely upon one thing and one thing only and upon him upon his word, upon his truth. And that's where it becomes not about a feeling. Does this make any sense? And so, so here's what I believe messed this man up. Is he had, there was an agenda there. Say an agenda. Can I tell you what God is after? Many of us think that he's after, like people who get sick. Oh, he's after you know, trying to uh, teach me a lesson. No, he's not. He's after my relationships. He's after my finances. Anybody ever felt like that before? Like, really? Can I see, can I see if I'm the only one? I'm not, are y'all going to leave me out here alone? Like, when you start seeing all these things begin to crumble all around you, you wonder to yourself, why is God keep touching these things and destabilizing me? And you, you feel like you get it together in one season and you feel it's over and you're good. It's smooth sailing. And then all of a sudden this thing over here starts falling apart. Am I the only one? Can I tell you what he's after? He's not after your mind. He's not after your money. He owns cattle on a thousand hills. He actually doesn't even need your tithe. He's after your will. You know what bothered me? Why I choked, really choked about this story is because I wonder, I wonder in my mind, because I'm a destiny guy, like I want to discover all that God has 
not for me, but for me to do so that I can glorify him in my life. That's, that's really my main desire. It's what I live for. It's what I breathe for. Is there anybody else who wants to discover that for their own lives? Is, is why I choke in this story is I wonder, remember I said that the, the other guys wanted to follow him? This guy, the young rich ruler, has an opportunity, a divine opportunity. He's at a crossroad, and God himself is inviting him as a 12th disciple to come and follow me. Not everybody else had that opportunity. Remember I told you about the guy who was demon-possessed? He wants to go with Jesus. Jesus resists him. And now this guy is being invited into something much deeper, something that brings satisfaction that's far beyond money, far beyond notoriety, far beyond success. And he denies it. And I I wonder if this guy, seeing what Jesus did and the disciples ended up doing, which was change the world, even thousands of years later, we're still seeing God moving in people's life and changing lives and still saving and still healing and still delivering. Come on, can I get a witness that God is still on the move? So we see all this, and I, and I wonder, I just wonder just for a moment, if after this all happens, this guy spent the rest of his life wondering, what would God have done with my life if I had laid it all on the altar? And that's what I want to do this morning. I don't want any regrets in my life. I think we deal with enough regrets. Some of us are in here who regret how we've raised our children. Some of us regret on not making that career change when you thought you could have. Some of us regret that we didn't make the marriage work and it fell apart. Come on, am I talking to anybody this morning? Am I talking to somebody in that screen? I know I am. Maybe, maybe we're in this place wishing that we would have chose a different route in life or we would have, should have served God sooner and things would have turned out different. But you have an advantage over this guy and this is what Jesus is saying to us all this morning. Lay down your... Lay down your own agenda. Lay down your own will. Come take up your cross and follow me. Don't spend your life wondering what would God have done with my life if I gave it all. Say, give it all. Look at somebody and tell them that this morning. Are you willing to give it all? And you know why most people struggle with the will of God? Finding it? Is, is, is there anybody but me who struggles sometimes finding the will of God in a certain thing? God, do you want me here? God, do you want me to do this? God, do I give this? What do you really want me to give up? Who am I supposed to marry? No, I don't think that way. I'm already happily married, but you, I'm just trying to make it practical for you. God, am I supposed to stay in, stay in this career? Am I supposed to make the shift? Am I supposed to add something to my schedule? Am I supposed to take this away? What are you calling me to do? Come on, does anybody feel like that this morning? That there's certain things like where, who, what, and where, and when am I supposed to do this, Lord? And why most people, do you know why, where the struggle comes from? It comes from having a mixture of our will and desires mixed with his. And the destabilization in our lives when he begins to remove things is to get yours out of the way. See, this guy thought money and adding salvation to it would have brought him great satisfaction. He didn't realize. He thought he needed money and wanted money. Jesus knew something much, much deeper that if you would have really loved me with all your heart, soul, and mind, which would have been the greatest commandment, that and giving your life up, not gaining things, but giving things would have brought him ultimate satisfaction. But his mixture of his will and God's will collided and he walks away empty. And I wonder if he spent the rest of his life wondering, what would God have done? Would he have used me to raise the dead? Would he have used me to build the church and be an early uh, uh, apostle who would set up as a pillar the church of Jesus Christ? Are you, are you tracking me? Trying to get in? I'm trying to get in his mind what he thought for the rest of his life. But we have to get rid of the mixture of our will and his will. Most people think, why do I have to get rid of my will? God doesn't want me to have any fun. This is why most people don't come to Christ. Is they they wonder what he's going to take. They don't want to surrender all because they're like, what else is he going to take? Not really realizing that he knows your heart intimately and what will bring you most satisfaction. Sometimes the thing that you will bring, you think will bring you the most satisfaction will end up being the, uh, the leech of your life 
in taking all, taking all of your, uh, your, 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 your attention, your affections. God knows what to take. My daughter oftentimes tries to grab things that I know will hurt her, and she really wants this toy. And I'm like, we need to return this toy. They, they should have caught this defect before it ever hit the shelves. And this is how we are with our toys and our blessings as we want to hold on to them. And God's trying to rescue us from that which is going to damage us ultimately. This is what he does. And two people can't run the show in your relationship with Jesus. This is why we have to get rid of the mixture. How many work at a job? Like you go somewhere to a job and there's bosses and things like that. Not self-employed. Well, maybe even if you're self-employed. Have, have you ever seen, I know you've experienced this, when another person comes on the site who just kind of got hired on and they begin to play like the boss and yet they're over you? And it kind of changes your mood, mood now every time you get around them? Is because you now, now you have two leaders trying to do one job? Y'all don't know. Do you hear what I'm saying? You, you feel the stress of that? When there's two people trying to accomplish the same thing in two different ways? This is how our life is. This is why we, we cannot... Uh, have you ever seen uh, two, two people, um, two coordinators at an event? Like one person wants white linen, the other wants black linen or purple linen. And just a big clash and problems begin to happen. Two drivers in a car. My wife likes to take the fast way. I like the scenic route. Even when I'm driving, she's driving because she's in the seat next to me. You need to go this way. This is the way our life looks. Is we want to get to our destination, but we want to do it. We want to tell God how to get there with us. But it doesn't work that way. This, This young rich ruler wanted to get to destiny. He wanted to get to salvation his way. You cannot experience, listen to me, listen to me. You may get to heaven. You may get to heaven. I may get to heaven by receiving Christ. There's no doubt about that. This is not a heaven and hell issue, but we cannot get to all that God has to us in its fullness, in the fullness, in the full measure our way. This should be preached so much more today than it is being preached. This is why we have so many disappointing Christians because if we give enough, we'll get there. If we do this enough, if we show up enough, if we, if we surrender, it's, it's none of that. It's, it's really a matter of getting our will completely out of the way so that God can do his job. Say he's the boss. You ever try to follow your GPS and then offer it some suggestions? Not, you know, physically. Like, I know it's telling me to go this way, but I feel like I need to go this way. Don't we do that with Jesus? And sometimes you don't do it until you're halfway there, and then you try to change the game. And then it takes you 15 more minutes because you just went out of the way. This is what we do with the Lord. He'll tell you to start a business or he'll tell you to marry somebody, and then you go to try to change the game and change directions in the middle of it. God knows what he's doing. Say, God knows what he's doing. Yeah. Listen to this. You might want to write this part down. The Lord, it's very simple. The Lord does not, you may not have never thought this, but the Lord does not need your help getting you to where he wants you to be. He he doesn't need your help. He needs this, your cooperation. Be still and stop trying to tell me where to go, honey. Be still and know that I am God. I told Zoe, Zoe, my four-year-old, is this okay this morning? My four-year-old Zoe, I told her we were going to, she was going to swim this year, Maria. Like she's been wanting to jump in the pool and like without her floaties. And, and now like it makes me nervous because she just wants, right when I get home from work, about two days a week, because the other couple of days a week, I'm busy in the evening as well, but I'll get home like on a Monday. Daddy, it's time for the pool. And she'll remind me, I'm not putting on my floaties. She's like, you know, like her mom, she's like buffering me. Like I'm letting you know in advance when we get in the pool, I'm not putting on the floaties. 
like my wife is like, hey, just so you know, I'm not cooking tonight. I'm like, honey, she just buffers me. She's four and she's already learning. And so I know what that means when I get in the pool. It's not that I'm disappointed that I got to teach her to swim. It's that I know I can't let go of her the entire time and I can't enjoy myself. God's delivering me from selfishness. And so she'll, 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 I'll say, honey, just put on the floaties for a little while and then you can swim freely. And then she'll, you know, somehow, daddy, and she'll look at me and start slipping that one floaty off. And then she takes the other one off and then she jumps in the pool and I'm in there 30 minutes chasing her around. She can stay up for about two seconds and then she'll start to shimmer down a little bit and I got to go rescue her. Now, if I go away from her, daddy, 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 come here close. And it started... God is teaching me something through fatherhood that, that we do this to him. Is we want to take, he's our floating device. You do know that. He, he is our floating device. And what we want to do is we want to take off the floaties and we, we want to do it our way, but keep him close enough to rescue when we drowned. I'm coming from high that now. I'm coming for you. Don't we do that? We, we love you, Daddy. Stay close enough, but don't be in control. Only when I start getting in financial ruin, I'll pray. I'll come to church. I'll go through the motions, but don't, don't get too close because I don't want my life controlled. I just want you to manage it when it begins to fall apart. I only need you when my marriage is going through a tough time. I only need you when my, I'm starting to lose my mind and the pressures of life are beginning to get to me. Then I need you to pick me up and keep me from drowning. But don't get too close because I, I want to be able to manage my life, but I want you to just control it from just from a distance. When I need you to be here when I need you to be here. But you stay right there until I need you. Don't we treat God like that? We treat him like a fire escape. But the thing is, is that God doesn't do well with certain things. And one thing the Bible calls him is Lord. Say Lord. Lord means Lord of all, not Lord of some. And the only reason we only experience limited, when I say blessing, I don't mean monetary. I mean for me, the blessing of his presence in my life is everything to me. The closeness of Jesus, for me, that's everything. I'd give it all. If I, if I could say one thing I cannot do without, it would be that. In other words, it's one of those things where it's like, take me home if I can't have closeness. Because that's where my heart is. It's like, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I can live without a lot of things. I've lived without money. I've lived without a lot of things. I've lived without a wife. I, I love her very much. But there's, there's one treasure that I cannot have ever touched. Because I can survive without certain things. But him, he is our sustenance. He is our, he's the air that we breathe. He's the reason that we're alive. He's, there's something about being close to him that makes everything else tolerable. That makes everything else better. He's the thing that colors in the gray pictures. Everything else is gray. He brings color to it. He brings flavor to it. But he's Lord of all. Say he's Lord of all. If we're not, with Zoe, I thought about this word this morning. I got up really early this morning. I wrote this phrase down. You should, you should write it and look at it on a regular basis. We want incorporation, not cooperation. What does that mean? We want to incorporate into him. We want to incorporate him into our decisions. We don't want to cooperate with getting done what he wants us to get done. Do you see the difference? There's a very big difference. There's two sets of Christians. Well, there's maybe three or four in here, but I'll tell you the, the two biggest ones in the room is there's people who say, hey, this is my life. I need you to come make it better and partner with me getting this job done. Are you hearing me? And then there's the other one that says, you know, I really don't know how to make great decisions in my life. I need you to establish my steps. I need you to walk with me and lead me into what you know is best for my life. I will cooperate with you to get that job done. 
Do you see the two different paths? Both say the name Jesus. Both go to church. One is a surrendered life and is childlike. That's why the Bible says, unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. One qualification of walking with Jesus and doing it effectively is to not be a know-it-all. And the more you know, the more it gets you in trouble. Because the more we try to help him, the more we try to get the job done. And what happens is after trying to help him get the job done, because this is flesh, say we're flesh. The flesh never has enough. This is why the flesh is dangerous. We say we're going to have one Twinkie and you just have to have two. I, I told my wife the other day, I'm just going to get 10 wings. And, I, and, I, and it was a lie because I ordered 20. I meant well. The flesh. The flesh never has enough. It always, it always wants more. So where we just want to begin to help God, it starts helping him. This is why people who've been walking with Jesus for a long time they, and they fall is because they're always trying to help him because we can't just help him. Then we got to start taking over. Look at somebody and say, remain childlike. Look at somebody else and say, remain childlike. Yes. We want incorporation. Come help me in my life where he wants cooperations. Ephesians chapter four, verse one. Watch this. Listen to Paul's language. Are you falling asleep on me? I see some of you. I'm going to come out there and sit on your lap. I therefore, I'm going to get a little louder. I therefore a prisoner of the Lord. Say, I'm a prisoner. I, a prisoner. This is the Apostle Paul. We're talking about a guy who's raising the dead. A guy falls out of the window, breaks his neck. He goes and lays hands on him. And it's not his own power. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit. We're talking about a guy who speaks different languages, who knows verbatim the first five books of the Bible from Genesis to Leviticus. Very studious. He's a chief of Pharisees is really what he is. He, he's the highest level in the law as a Pharisee. And he's saying right here, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy in the calling in which you were called. Do we have that verse of scripture? Say a prisoner. You got to understand what he's saying is because he walks in such freedom and liberty. This is why this scripture gets me. Because you can, you, can, you can live for you, but most people who live for themselves live in a prison. I want you to think about your own decisions. Not long enough to make you feel bad about them, but just long enough for you to see where they have led you. Because what I want to do is create a mistrust in your heart for yourself. Dean's like, what does he mean by that? Mature believers do not trust their own decisions. That's heavy stuff. What do I mean? What do I mean by that? The heart is deceitful above all things. We know that. But we can only, we, we, it's not safe to trust in your own self because our motives, deception is called, it basically simply means you don't know you're deceived because if you knew, you wouldn't be deceived. People ask me, they think I'm really insecure, and I am in many ways, because I ask people their opinion all the time, but really what I do, it is a safeguard. It keeps me low to the ground, because I know if I get too high, if I listen to the thank yous, and you're a man of God a little bit too much, I begin to think more of myself than I ought to. But I use those as protection mechanisms to keep me childlike. And the person who remains childlike continues to receive more and more grace from God because they, they can be trusted. God cannot trust people who trust themselves too much. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses, but we will trust in the living God. He was a prisoner. A prisoner to what? He was a slave. He was saying, I'm enslaved to the will of God. And then uh, in another breath, he'll, he'll say, nobody can imprison me or enchain me. He said, even though I'm physically in chains, I'm more free than any man. There's no freer person than the person who's centered in the will of God. And there's no more bound person than the one who makes all of life decisions for themselves and does not incorporate God into those decisions. 
Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? Galatians chapter two, verse 20. Well, let me, yeah, Galatians chapter 220, watch this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the what? In the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm going to tell you something very intimate and very personal. My wife will tell you because she knows. When I look about, I have, I have three or four different main things going on in my life. There's the family pocket. There's the, the father pocket. There's the business pocket. There's the ministry pocket. That's pretty much sums up my whole life. And all of them keep me very busy. There's not one thing that I am doing right now that I didn't kick and scream doing. Not one. Raise, my, raise your hand if I'm telling the truth. No, raise your hand. Don't shake your head. Raise your hand if I'm telling the truth. Like that, honey. That's how you do it. She gave two hands. She said it was a fight. When we got married, I, I mean, I squirmed. It was partially because I'd been scarred in the past. And the other part was I knew marriage was going to be costly. And I wanted to just throw myself into ministry and throw myself into business. And I wanted to be like the Apostle Paul. But how many know God will call you to let go what you want to hold on to and what you want to hold on to, he'll let you go because he's always wanting to stretch you. Does everybody hear that? Whatever you want, he'll ask for it. Whatever you don't want, he's like, yeah, you need to hold on to that. Because he's all about conforming you into the image of his son, living a selfless life. That the only centeredness about your life is being Christ-centered. Everybody hearing me this morning? So I kicked and screamed. I mean, I had 13 like angel out of the cloud confirmations. It wasn't really an angel, but you get what I'm saying. Like big confirmations to get married. And even then I'm like, are you sure, Lord? Are you sure this is it? With business, same thing. With the church, I absolutely kicked and screamed. I said, I'm not pastoring a church, Lord. I'm not gonna do it. It costs too much. I know what it costs. You're asking me to get up 4 a.m. every Sunday? Like every Sunday? People get to take breaks. I have to be there every Sunday, at least in my mind. But I kicked and screamed, and there's not one thing that I haven't done that I haven't felt has been a huge sacrifice. And yet, when you, when you sacrifice what is closest to your heart, something happens to you. God does something. Number one, he changes your desires. Say, he'll change my desire. But something much more deeper than that happens is, is you begin to find out that what you don't want to do becomes the very thing you've wanted to do your whole life. But it's kind of like this. Who went out on the boat with me? Us. There was about 40 of you guys. And we were at this beautiful place called Blue Springs. And we all jumped. I was like one of the first few to jump in. I think there's probably 10 people in front of me. I jumped in the water. I mean, Dean, it was ice cold, you know, like we were closest to the mouth of the spring. And I think over 1 million gallons of fresh spring water come out every day, every 24 hours. That's how much water, so much water comes out of this spring that it, you literally see the brackish water being held back a quarter mile away from the river. So it doesn't allow the black river water to come in. There's so much spring water. You can almost see a hard line of where the black water and the fresh water meet. And, and I got a revelation. I was thinking about that this morning. Like we jumped in and it literally <gasps> takes your breath away. But after about three minutes, like you get numb. And then it feels great. Right? Does any, it's, come on, raise your hand if I'm telling the truth this morning. So, so watch it. He said it's called hypothermia. L listen, here, here's the whole point for those of you who are watching by live stream as well. The whole point to this is God's perfect will for your life and what he's calling you is like that. It hurts at first. It hurts badly at first. But he's trying to get you somewhere. And if you're not willing to experience the pain and the heartache as a result of your obedience for him, you will miss the viewpoint he's wanting to bring you to. You will miss the place he's wanting. We got to go swim up to this. It was beautiful. 
it was like this large mouth with all the fresh water coming out. Wasn't it beautiful, Mariah? It was, it was incredible. But this is what our life looks like as well. There's many people who didn't jump in the water. James is waving his hand. He's like, thank God for repentance and mercy and grace. God will give you another chance. It's all right. It's God's will like that. It hurts when you jump in. It's easier to say yes than it is to follow through with your obedience. But if you suffer a while, the Bible says, he will perfect and establish you. He will. He'll establish you. He'll, he'll, he'll take that thing that's difficult for you and, and cause you to love what you're doing because it does this very thing. It conforms you into the image of his son. Isn't that what Jesus's model was? Think about what he left. Think about him stepping out of heaven, leaving all of his comforts, leaving the cherubim and the seraphim and the archangels and all of the comforts and glory of heaven. And he says, I'm going to go to the earth. He's going to pay a price. But as a result of that, he came and he gained a family. You catch the revelation? He left his comforts and got uncomfortable for 33 years so that he could end up having a family. And what's going to happen? We talked about it, was it last week, about the marriage supper of the Lamb in the book of Revelation? Because now he's going to have a wedding with lots of people because now we can come to the throne of grace and receive his mercy, his grace, and salvation as a result of his act, his selfless act of obedience. That's what your obedience does. It brings you to a place of great blessing. Come on, is anybody hearing what I'm saying this morning? If you are facing something in your life this morning and you're like, Lord, I don't want to do that. Normally, what is God's will? How do we find God's will? This is what the title is. How do we find God's will? It's usually never the easy thing. That usually simplifies it. This is funny. I shouldn't even say this. People wonder who, you know, who should I vote for? Like, and not just president. And I just tell them it's real simple. Like you don't even have to be a prophet. Go look at who the Satanists are voting for and then vote opposite. It's pretty good. That deserves a clap. That's pretty like... This is how you find the will of God. Even the disciples wanted to know, how do we get there? He says, here's how you do it. If life is easy, broad and wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And many go. But straight and narrow is the way that leads to life. This is hard, Lord. Few find it. Because few people can love an unlovable, unfaithful husband. Few people are willing to pay the price. Few people are willing to turn the other cheek. They're, they have to go the broad way and they have to be right. Most people don't. Who wants to suffer in their right mind. But there's a beautiful scripture found in 1 Corinthians. If you suffer with me, you will also reign with me. God's principles do not change, which leads me to point number two, and I'm done after, after this. Number two. So number one was no will of your own. Say no will. His will. Number two, very basic, very basic, is how do we find the will of God? Very simple. The scriptures. The scriptures. We've added way too much to Christianity. Haven't we? Haven't we, though, added so much? It's so basic. We get out of the way, allow him to take control, walk in obedience. How do we walk in obedience? What's the best way that God speaks? It's not through verbal prophecy, although we have some people who are very prophetic here. God sometimes uses me in the prophetic, but I'm sure he uses sometimes many of you. Do you know what you can never go wrong with, though? God's word. This is his prophetic word to you and I that is still speaking. So how do you get God's? There is not one person I know who reads the word of God daily that lives a confused life. 
I'm going to give you the old acronym. Who knows what the acronym of Bible is? Come on, tell me. Has everybody heard that before? Basic instructions before leaving earth. When we read the Bible, it's full of light. Actually, there's a scripture that says, his word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I love that verse, but you may have never thought about it like this because it doesn't say it's a light in the tunnel for me. Like it doesn't give you a lot of view ahead. It gives you light for the day. That's why it's called daily bread. He's, his word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my my pathway. He lets you see a little bit ahead, but he won't give you all the instructions. He does it day by day. You know what's so funny? Is um, two weeks ago, I was sitting in the sanctuary. Now, I'm not going to share what God told me. It's a little sacred. I will later because it has to do with all of you all and where God is bringing us. And it's so excited. I can hardly wait. I've told a few people, I said, God spoke to me about something. I know he spoke to me. I know he spoke to my heart because as I was reading this verse of scripture, I was uh, complaining in the moment and I was asking him for wisdom in the moment. And I opened the Bible and it was as if God in the, the story applied, I don't know how to explain it, perfectly to my situation. And it was clear that God had spoke to me and I got instruction. This is what the Bible does. This is why it's critical. Say it's critical. It is critical for you to read the word of God daily. Say daily. daily. Monthly bread. Yearly bread, annual bread, weekly, daily, daily. Just like the physical body needs daily food, your spirit man needs spiritual food. And we feed and our spirit man goes stronger. Listen, I have never seen a person. If you, if you have a problem falling into the same exact sins over and over again, don't be ashamed to run back to the Bible. I remember that when I would do that. Do not go back and repent whenever you're finished sinning and doing whatever you're doing. Run to the Bible and weep over it and repent again. Read it again. Do not allow your shame to keep you away from this Bible. Because eventually what will happen is you'll feed your spirit man long enough that you say no to the sin and this Bible will keep you away from the sin. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's like exercising a spiritual muscle. Just because you don't see result when you're doing it daily, keep doing it daily. And in the spirit, what will happen is you begin to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the spirit. You begin to exercise. You begin to strengthen. And the thing, and the thing that you used to not be able to say no to now will disgust you. No, I'm telling you from experience, there were sins that I thought I could never get away from. Ask Dean, t t over 10 years ago, I remember I'd work with him. Where would the guys find me at in the job, on the job? I'd be in my paint van. Where would I be? I would be in the van on my lunch break. Year after year after year after year, they would find me in the same place. Over and over. Do you remember that? They would catch me in the van. I would just have the word of God on my lunch break, eating and eating this and eating this, struggling in my sin as a young believer, which by the way, in your 20s is the most horrific age Come on, all the older people say amen. amen. You don't know who you're going to marry. You don't know what your career choice is going to be. All of these things, all of these changes in your body. But I tell you what, this word right here began to strengthen me. And for three years, it felt like I was shut off from the world. And day by day, I would read God's word. And it began to be a lamp to my feet, a light unto my path. It began to strengthen my walk with the Lord. Until that which I used to not be able to stay away from, I began to hate. And then I began to love living holy, love spending time with Jesus, loving things that I should love. Devoting my thing, my life and my time to things I should love and that God loves. Amen? his word. And what does it do? My old pastor taught me this. You can stand to your feet. Has this been okay this morning? It does these three things. Dean and I were taught this for many years. His word does these three. I want you to repeat. Say it counsels, it corrects, and it directs. See, we love the counsel and the direction part. 
We love when God counsels us through somebody or through his word. Thank you, Lord, for that instruction, giving me the idea that I needed to move forward in this decision. Or direction. We love direction. Say direction. He helps you to know what you're supposed to do in that situation, but we don't like the correction part so much. But it counsels, it corrects, and it directs. Once we really get that about the Bible, we will have, we, we will have minimal phone calls throughout the week that we make. Because we go to people for counsel and direction. But this instruction manual, God's word, the Bible, counsels us. It instructs, that's what counsel does. It instructs us in which way we should go. I don't know, I've been feeling all this week like there's people who are just struggling in their relationship with Jesus, like not knowing what to do, where to turn to, what's his will, what's not his will. A lot of confusion. It's like I feel it in the spirit, a lot of confusion. People confused. Am I in the right place? It's a good thing that you're asking yourself that. But reading God's word will bring clarity. It'll illuminate. It'll shine the light on what you're supposed to be doing. It'll give clarity. It'll counsel you. It'll correct you where you need correcting. Listen, remember I was telling you God spoke to me about that was his direction to me. This is where the church is going. I was like, praise God. I felt the power and presence of God so strongly. And then last night it corrected me through my daughter's devotional. She's four. And my wife read it and we were all spending time together yesterday. And Zoe was yapping at me and stuff. I think Zoe even slaps, you know, no daddy doing something. And I'm like, honey, why would you hit your daddy? And then she said, sorry, and all that good stuff. And then me and Steph were, didn't have, we had an intense, we didn't get in a fight. We don't fight. We have a fellowship, intense fellowship. <laughs> we wanted to go to the matinee movie. I haven't been to the movies in forever. I know why now. Anyway, I'm not going to mention the movie. It was, an, it was a cartoon movie. You know, we're movie buffs. We like movies, but we like clean movies. Amen? Come on, say amen. amen. And so we, we all were kind of got into a little disagreement, and we knew enough to know the convicting that we were feeling in our hearts was from the Lord. And then Stephanie, my wife, breaks open my daughter's devotional last night and begins to read it and it's exactly what we're dealing with it was about us quarreling with each other I don't want to see that movie no it's not good for Zoe we should eat this don't not not eat that you know flesh and she just closes that devotional and that and it spoke directly to us in the most simplest childlike way and it was about forgiving each other even when you don't agree with each other Remember that last night? And it was about sinning. Before I started reading, I said, I said, I think that we all need to just pray and ask each other for forgiveness. That's what it was. Each of us did something wrong today to one another. Can you God speak into the mic a little better? So I, um, so I just, I just, I didn't even look at the, the heading on the devotional. I just closed it. I said, let's, let's first get in the right posture, get in the right place. You know, we all messed up today. And we're not really in right standing with one another and with God. So let's, you know, clean it up. <laughs> and so I said, we, we should say sorry to one another. And then Zoe is the first one. Yes, I'm sorry, Mommy, for, for not listening and saying mean things to you. And She said for ugly talk, too. Yeah. and then That's what we call it. I said, and, and to Daddy, too. I said, you smack Daddy. And so she said, yes, I'm sorry, Daddy. And she said, and you two, you say sorry to each other, too. <laughs> and then I start reading the devotional, and it's just uh, about doing things that hurt God's heart. And just, it was just so, I'm like, wow, do you see the Lord talking to us? And it's, yes, just it's pay beautiful. attention. And that's what God's word does. If you don't have a daily devotion or reading your word, even if it's a verse a day, it's like you put yourself in a place to where God knows, he knows you're sitting up, you're rising up and you're sitting down according to scripture. But when you have that time with him, it gives him 
the vantage point to be able to counsel and correct and direct you. If you don't have that place, it's not that he can't speak, is that he primarily, listen, primarily chooses to speak to us through his word. Say his word. It's how he counsels us. Say counsel, correct, and directs us. Amen? I want to read this last scripture and I'm going to let you go, I promise. We were talking about finding his will. Remember? The young rich ruler, not willing to let go of what he needed to, to find out what God had for him. And then Peter did the same thing. Remember how Peter was trying to accomplish his, God's will his way? Remember he pulled out the sword, cut Malachus' ear off, and he ends up denying Jesus three times because he was trying to accomplish God's will for his life in his own strength. Come on, do you remember that? And then after the out, right, right after, or excuse me, right before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the last book of John, John chapter 21, verse 15 through 19, it says, so that when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? It's talking about love again. I want, you, I want you to recognize something. Jesus never said that to the young rich ruler. He wanted the young rich ruler to know, listen, the only reason you're not giving that thing up is because you don't love me. And the reason that Peter denied Jesus is sometimes fear gets us to do the, do the, do the wrong thing, right? Fear will cause us to make bad decisions in a moment, but when you, when you truly love and are devoted to some, something and someone, you have this concrete, this backbone in you that says, no matter what it takes, I'm willing to do this thing. That's what true love does. It's willing to let go of whatever we need to let go of or hold on to whatever God's calling us to hold on to. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so Peter denies Jesus. And in this scene, Jesus has been gone. He's now been crucified. They don't know he really rose from the dead exactly yet. And they're on this boat ride, Peter's returned back to fishing, what used to work. Fishing, say fishing. And so Jesus calls from the land and he says, children, have you any food? And then they invite him to have breakfast or vice versa, actually. Jesus invites them to have breakfast. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. How many times did Peter deny him? Three times. So he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? more than these. And he said to him, yes, Lord, I love you. And you know that I love you. He asked again, and he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend to my sheep. In other words, fulfill the calling of God on your life by feeding my people and establishing the early church. Is everybody hearing me? And he said to him a third time, and Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And he said to him, feed my sheep. This is such a beautiful verse that's following because Peter always loved doing things his way, unlike the young rich ruler. And here's what Jesus says to him. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will be stretched out. Your hands will be stretched out and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And this he spoke signifying by which death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to me, follow me. Why is this important? There's a historian by the name of Josephus who was around at that time and records. It's not in the Bible, but there was a recorded historic account of how Peter got, how he passed away, how he died. Does everybody know that? Ever heard of the name Josephus? So Jesus prophesied right here. So I'm speaking the Bible, okay? He says, you're going to get crucified. You're, you're going you're gonna to be stretched out. Another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This Jesus spoke signifying by, by which death he would glorify God. In other words, he would be crucified. Say crucified. 
There was a man by the name of Josephus who stood by and he seen Peter. And here's what Peter supposedly said. It's recorded in history. He said, I'm not worthy to be hung like my Lord. Don't hang me upright. Hang me upside down. Listen, you have to understand the implication of this. Not the death, not just the death that he died. You have to understand this man who wasn't even willing to go with Jesus as Jesus was being crucified. Peter ran. He lied about knowing Jesus. He denied him three times, which is why Jesus says, do you love me three times to reinstate Peter's denial? Which says something in the spirit. Like when you say, when you do something, like he denied Jesus three times, Jesus knew in the spirit, we need to change some things. We need to renounce some things. We need to renounce your denial. So we need to announce that you do love me three times. And it does something in Peter. So it shifted something in Peter's heart to be willing to let go of his own will. In other words, he had a moment where it's like, not my will, your will. This is what inspired Peter to be hung upside down. He's like, I'm not only going to do what you're requesting me to do. I'm going to take it a step further. I won't even be stretched high and wide upright. I would rather be crucified upside down. Listen, no matter what God calls you to let go of or what he calls you to go through, when he puts something in you based on your hunger, which is a love for him, there's nothing you will not be willing to do. No matter how hard it is, you know why you will, you, you may not enjoy going through it, but you will know the results of what going through that will bring. What is that? a deeper love and a commitment to him. It's like your love, if you, if you understood, if you had a child and you protected a child from something like an accident, something, something, a fall, and you took the fall for the child or you took the hit for the child, you would understand that, that it gave you pleasure. And, and that's what loving Jesus does. And beyond that, it, you know, whatever it costs to be close to Jesus. And I pray that for each and every one of you under the sound of my voice, that you would be willing to do whatever it takes to be close to him, to walk in obedience to him. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.